Africa Calling, a bi-monthly podcast with sound-rich reports from our correspondents on the continent. African Voices reporting on African stories produced by Radio France International. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Africa Calling podcast on June 11th, 2021. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. We have a short but sweet program from our correspondents on the African continent this week, including a look at Malawian inventors and innovators. We'll find out more. And in rural western Kenya, tea farmers are benefiting from a new government initiative with higher pay. Our correspondent there talks to female farmers who are now making ends meet. And finally, don't forget our special song at the end. Africa Calling. When you think of African innovators, you might come up with William Kamkwamba, the Malawian boy who harnessed the wind. But in Malawi, he's not unique. There are many young, bright inventors who are changing the country for the better. And now, there's a new program to hone these special skills. Correspondent Charles Pensulo finds out more about the program. But first, he visits an inventor in rural Mulanji who has provided electricity, a cooking stove, and a doorbell for his family. Growing up in the rural Malawian district of Mulanje, George Kalicello was interested in electronics. Today, they're not surprised that the 20-year-old secondary school liver has come up with a windmill which is generating electricity for a few houses and a doorbell. He's also created an innovative store to cook food faster and use fewer trees. But his first encounter with the windmill was in primary school, when one of their teachers showed him a windmill and how it can be used to generate power. And when his family was struggling to light their home during the night and they could not afford to pay for charging his phone, the primary school lesson inspired him. A collection of scrap meters, bicycle parts, and a used car battery led to an invasion which has simplified not only his life and that of his grandmother, but also the neighbors. Standing at the windmill, George explains how it works. This windmill, it supplies electricity to three houses, and the electricity is used for lightning and charging phones. It was in 2012 where when my teacher tell us about windmill, but he didn't tell more about how windmill works. Before making that windmill, I used two candles per day, which it cost 20 watch. At the end of the month, it cost almost 10,000 for lighting only. It cost 5,000 for charging phones, which it cost 15,000 per month. That money... It can be used for other things instead of using for charging phones and, the, and lighting. Inside the house, the current is turned into usable power through the device which George invented. Pointing at the knob wires, he explains what it takes before he starts using the electricity. When wind blows, the fan-like structure rotates. It's constructed from iron sheets and hoisted to a 30-meter pole made from timber. The fan is connected to a motor which produces current. 
the current then passes through the liquidator before going into the battery from where it lights the houses and charges the phones. George also invented a doorbell which runs on batteries and saves people the trouble of knocking at his door when they need him. So apart from you, who else is benefiting? Some of them are my my brother, see, which he uses light for for leading, and there is a neighbor which uses that power for lighting and charging phones. How much do you charge? Ah uh, no, but I give that energy for free. George also came up with a cooking stove, which uses less firewood and cooks faster. He believes this, if rolled out on a bigger scale, can help save the diminishing trees in his area. George explains how the stove works. This this stove works very well. You take two pieces of wood and you put into that stove. After putting it, you catch a fire. And after catch fire, you go to the board which I put in the stove. The stove will give you pressure. The wood catch fire fast and the, the thing which you put inside the stove, it burn up fast. I came up with that stove to fight against the destruction of trees. Kondwan Chamala, an environmental education expert in the district, is impressed with George's innovation, especially the cooking stove. He says this could be an answer to the growing problem of cutting down trees for charcoal and firewood. He says that George, just like hundreds of innovators in the country, needs to be promoted to come up with things that solve community challenges. This young man is simply a genius. Um, at his age, at, the, at his level, before formal tertiary education, he's able to bring in uh, solutions towards the environmental challenges. The bringing of a windmill which solves uh, energy issues at his home and the cook stove that allows to use uh, fewer sticks to cook. That is also being thoughtful. Uh, people are battling it out with the charcoal issues around the mountain and beyond. He's able to bring that kind of solution. He's some guy who requires to be promoted. There are a number of uh, innovators in the in, in the country but maybe what lacks most is uh, how to motivate them how to push them from where they are to a certain level uh, in the case of george he's able to use locally available resources to build whatever he's trying to to build but with the proper support with proper materials uh, i believe we can come up with something that the world or the nation can benefit from after observing the knowledge gap and how the country is losing out on talent like George's. Malawi University of Science and Technology in Cholo has established a community research and innovation program. People with innovative skills are mentored by experts at the university to add value to their products. The first-year innovators applied their skills to a range of products, from water taps to farming drones. David Nkwambisi, Master's Institute of Industrial Research and Innovation Director says the program started after observing that a lot of inventions are not being well managed at a country level. 
we are losing such innovations, maybe people are picking them uh, to, to go outside Malawi. And again, we noted that uh, the university system does not have a proper education program to handle such uh, innovative ideas. So management approved this program to make sure that we capture those innovative minds or innovators that can support the government agenda of job creation. So we've started with uh, innovations that within three or five months we can commercialize that type of innovation. We mentor them in any language and we have a curriculum that can suit any other innovator. What we've done is that any innovator that has been identified is uh, matched or given a mentor. And this is a, a scientist at must who knows the science and technology behind that idea. So we are adding value. The Community Innovation Initiative by MAST will ensure that innovators like George get the skills and recognition they deserve. For now, only half a dozen people have been considered, but it's a start for Malawi to find homegrown solutions to everyday challenges. For RFI Africa Calling, this is Charles Penslow reporting in Mulanje District, Malawi. Africa Calling, produced by Radio France International. In Kenya, most small-scale tea farmers have had to cope with low pricing and delayed payments for their crops, making it hard to get by. Some farmers had even threatened to quit growing Kenya's largest export crop. But after reviewing policies, the Kenyan government made sweeping changes five months ago, reducing some of the farmers' challenges. Correspondent Stanley Ongwe spoke to tea farmers and representatives alike in southwestern Kenya to get more on the subject. It is sunrise. Welcome to Jitago village in Nyamira County, southwestern Kenya. Esther Nyangara is already up and plucking tea leaves in her Kota Eka tea farm. There are about 700 tea bushes occupying nearly half of her total land where she lives with her husband and seven children. She says she works even in bad weather. I usually wake up at about six in the morning and start plucking the tea, even if it's raining. I work the whole morning and in the afternoon until about 2 p.m. Sometimes we have to wait for a long time, until dusk or even midnight, before we can sell our green tea. At the end of the day, I'm exhausted. Afterwards, Esther will transport the tea leaves to a tea-buying centre about three kilometres from here. A designated buyer from a tea processing factory owned by farmers will weigh Esther's green tea leaves alongside those from many other farmers and transport them to the factory where it will be processed for one of the most preferred beverages, tea. Plucking the green leaves all day long and carrying them to buying center provides little return, says Esther. It's just not worth it. The morning dew numbs your legs. Other times you found yourself totally exhausted after the day's work. Not that you have any food to eat after all of this. We get so little out of the tea. We're tired of it. This is another village called Krantini, about 10 kilometers away from Chitago. I am in the home of another small-scale tea farmer. Farmer Delvin Kwamboka says tea cannot solve her financial burdens, 
litu hapua pay. Kwanza hata kama tunachuna unachuna kama mwezi moja. At the end of the month, I can get a total of about 50 kilos of green tea. That's 800 Kenyan shillings a month. It's not enough for school fees, soap, food and other needs. It's not enough from tea alone. This was the case for each farmer before earning better returns following recent interventions by the government of Kenya. Amos Mariba, county commissioner in Nyamira County, representing the national government, says the policies are meant to help the farmers. The government intervened because of the outcry of the farmers and the fact that uh, actually the sector was on uh, a deadbed. In fact, some had even threatened to uproot their tea. So studies were conducted and the government decided to come up with the new policies. Otherwise, uh, the farmers are the ones who uh, are supposed to follow their own uh, regulations uh, in terms of ensuring they have a management that uh, will assist them to improve on farming. That is the sound of a spring balance weighing machine. The farmers are now weighing their green tea leaves using light size of sacks. Esther is among the farmers. Today, I've sold 20 kilos of tea, and by the end of the month, I will have sold about 120 kilos. That'll be about 1,700 shillings. Delvin too sold her produce some two hours ago. She is happy with her day's work now that the pricing has been changed due to the government policy. Today, I've sold 15 kilos. By the end of this month, I will have sold up to 75 kilos. That's about 900 shillings. With optimism written all over their faces, small-scale tea farmers like Esther and Delphine have reason for renewed hopes of more earnings from the crop, unlike many years before. The government says the reforms that started working about three months ago have put measures meant to cushion the farmers against exploitation. What's key is the change of the electoral systems of farmers' representatives, otherwise known as directors, as well as the replacement of marketing rules of tea and other legislation. Count Commissioner Mariba says this makes a difference. What kind of elections were these? There were special annual general meetings. Many of the factories had not conducted their annual general meetings. And that's why government said, okay, let us provide an environment where the farmers now, who are the owners of the tea, can uh, elect their own directors. The new directors are now taking uh, control fully. They will, we shall support them uh, so that, uh, again, this uh, sector can uh, be revived. Nelson Onduko Onyancha is among the directors who were newly elected under the new government regulations. He represents small-scale tea farmers from Kebrigo Tea Factory in Yamira, one of the tea processing industries owned by tea growers. Onyancha says he's working for the farmers. 
the former directors were representing their interests. But this time, things are different. We want to represent the farmers directly to implement the tea regulations which were formulated by the Kenya government. Corruption, we are going to fight it tooth and nail so that they can benefit from their sweat of the tea farming. Every gain, every benefit which we are, will accrue from our factory will go directly to the farmer. The Kenya Tea Development Authority, or KTDA, as it's popularly known, is an agency that manages the tea business and pays farmers for their crop. The new laws have also streamlined its business, says Onyancha. The strategy which the government has put in place over the tea sales, the payments will be paid promptly to the farmer and we shall ensure that all monies are going to the farmer, not diverted to other uses. How was it like before? Before, the directors and the management of KDTA, after the sales, the tea auction, the money were kept for almost two months to pay farmers, which was taking too long. Like if a tea auction has sold tea belonging to Kaviriko Tea Factory Company Limited, then he keeps money in his account for two months. Who knows if they could be using the money for other uses before they, they, they reach to the farmer. Small-scale tea farming activities in this region of Nyanza and western Kenya is representative of what is happening in Rift Valley, central and eastern regions where tea is grown, mainly on a small scale. Small-scale tea farming accounts for more than 65% of the country's total tea production with the other portion being produced by multinational companies established in key producing counties. Kenyan tea is mainly sold to Arab countries, major markets in Europe and other parts of the world. For example, Kenya earned more than 1 billion US dollars from tea exports in the year 2020. But does this translate to good tidings to farmers? It is four o'clock and Esther's children are playing in the compound. Their mother is also busy nearby. Esther says she has other ventures besides tea. I have about an acre of land. I've planted tea on one portion, some maize on another, finger millet and some vegetables. I have a cow too. All of these supplement my earnings from the tea. For example, I sell about six litres of milk every day. That's 300 shillings. And that's what all other small-scale tea farmers do to keep families instead of depending on tea alone. Mixed small-scale farming. And understandably, Esther is happy. Reporting for RFI's Africa Calling, this is Stanley Ongwai in Chitago Village, southwestern Kenya. Find us on your favorite podcast platform app, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We're almost at the end of our program, but we have music maven Alison Hurd in the studio. Hi, Alison. What song do you have for us? Hi, Ale. Music today is from the Kenyan singer and musician Makadem. He's a big figure on the Nairobi Benga scene. Benga music is, if you like, urban pop. It developed in the capital in the 60s and 70s. And some people see it as the Kenyan equivalent of Congolese rumba. Benga, by the way, means beautiful in the Luo language. 
Now, Makadem plays the Niatiti. This is a five to eight stringed traditional lute from Kenya. And one of the things that he really loves to do is to show younger musicians that they can use instruments like that in the club and dance hall music, which is so popular in Kenya at the moment. So the track I've chosen is a collaborative recording that he made with the South African producer Bea and an Indian producer called Desho uh, about four years ago. It's such an, an infectious piece of music. It's called Niaku, which means girl in Luo. Hope you like it. Oh, great. Well, we'll leave you with the fabulous sounds of Makadem. I'm Laura Angela Benieto. This episode was edited and recorded by Cecile Pompiani and Nicolas Doro. Goodbye for now. Don't go in your love, you're the cotton you're gonna Don't go in your love, you're the cotton you're gonna Don't go in your love, you're the cotton you're gonna Don't go in your love, you're the cotton you're gonna